What's the secret to your hair, Dr. Lisa? I get that question so much. And what I have changed recently is using my Nourish Collagen Peptides from the Nourish Balance Thrive line. As you know, before I ever put my name on anything, I test it out for months. And so therefore, I have been using this product for a long time before it ever became available to you guys. Why am I loving this product so much more than any other ones that I've ever used? A, this is grass-fed collagen. So if you are dealing with post-COVID hair loss, if you are dealing with a Hashimoto's diagnosis or a hypo or just low thyroid diagnosis and you're losing your hair, or maybe you're noticing your hair just isn't as thick as it used to be when you were in your 20s, right? There's so many of us noticing that. You might want to add some collagen into your routine. And the Nourish Collagen Peptides is from grass-fed cows, so you're going to love that. You're not going to get all the nasty hormones or whatever else that might be in conventional products. I am always looking for the cleanest source available. What else? If you're looking in the mirror and you're noticing those laugh lines, or if you can pinch your skin and it doesn't like rebound back as fast as it used to, that means the elasticity of your skin just isn't there and we want to rebuild it, nourish it so it can thrive, right? So the Nourish Collagen Peptides will do just that. And obviously as a chiropractor, I love this because it is good for your joint health as well. So Nourish Collagen Peptides has type 1 and type 3 collagen peptides in it, which are great for, like I said, hair, skin, and nails. So if you are dealing with laugh lines or thinning hair or creaky joints, you're going to want to grab a container of the Nourish Collagen Peptides. You can mix it into your smoothies, into your coffee. You can mix it into like your brownies if you're eating that drlisao.com, click the shop link or click the link below. Okay, women and men, listen up. You both are going to want to listen to this. If you have been doing keto for a while and you feel stuck, if you're gaining weight on keto, if you are noticing different belly fat or cellulite on keto and you can't figure out why because you are strict in keto and you've got really low carbs and it just doesn't make sense, you're going to want to listen. Because Dan Pompa is going to explain to you about the feast-famine cycle and what he does with his clients. And it's actually what I've implemented now with my keto diet. If you know me, you know I do carb cycling days. And so he's going to talk about the science behind that as to why we should do that and how it will actually, by increasing your diet with a little bit of carbs strategically on a certain day, how it's going to accelerate that fat loss. Check it out. Hey there, Rockstar. I'm Dr. Lisa Olszewski. I'm so glad you're here. I know you've been struggling for a while trying to figure out why things just aren't changing. I've been there. I get you. I see you. I know how hard you're trying. I'm here to let you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm here to teach you the simple steps to becoming that healthy, vibrant you. Are you ready? Let's do this. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome. We have another fantastic speaker over here to my side, Dr. Dan Pompa. So Dan has an amazing story, and I want him really to share this because he's got a mission now to really educate the public and healthcare practitioners on cellular inflammation and going through. um, I don't want to go too much into his story because I definitely want him to share it, but so many of us really have had the, the issue with ketogenic nutrition in helping us heal through different things. And it goes back to Dr. Heal Thyself, right? So um, Dan, go ahead and share a little bit about your story with us. 
Yeah, I mean, years ago, <laughs> back in the day, as we say, I was uh, functioning as a very successful chiropractor, and then all of a sudden fatigue hit, and then it went to anxiety, panic attacks, massive hormone disruption. I mean, thyroid was not functioning, hair was falling out, <laughs> bad stuff was happening. Uh, you know, my adrenals weren't functioning either. I mean, I couldn't even tolerate loud noises, let alone any stress, but uh, I would be downstream trying to you know, help the adrenals and the thyroid, and it was to no avail. Bottom line is, is that uh, years later, I found out that I had mercury toxicity. And, uh, you know, it, it actually came, you know, when you can't sleep at night and you have severe insomnia, uh, you know, you're doing a lot of reading and researching. And I found something called Mad Hatter's disease. Some of you may recognize it from Alice in Wonderland, if you mm -hmm. recall, right? But I was a mad hatter. I mean, I had literally every symptoms, but they were using mercury to attenuate different molds and viruses that when they were making felt hats. And I thought, this is me. So I go went and got a blood test, but it was negative. But uh, it was, it was a, literally a year or so later, I, was, um, I became really good friends with a very bright endocrinologist. And he said, Dan, I think you have mercury poisoning. I said, I thought so too. <laughs> so I did a blood test. He said, hey, wrong test. That would show acute mercury poisoning like Matt Hatter's. But I think you have chronic. So I did a different test where we challenged the mercury um, out of the tissue. It's a test that looks like this. I'm sitting here. Let's see if I have one. But anyway, so I did that test and sure enough, it would, came out positive and without showing the person's name here. But um, this is what it would look like. So you can see how the mercury was across the page there. But the bottom line is, is that I said, well, what do you think I got it from? And he said, did you have any dental work done around the time this all happened? <clears throat> it just so happens I did. I, matter of fact, the symptoms started literally just uh, days after, at least the fatigue did, days after I, I had the amalgam, I had two amalgams removed. And by the way, these silver fillings contain 50% mercury. So it vaporized the mercury and just sent my bucket overflowing. But, you know, looking back, I had other exposures, of course, vaccination. Um, and of course, I wore contact lenses in the 70s, 80s, and early 90s, which had mercury in the, th uh, in the saline solution. So a lot of different sources. But the bottom line is it accumulated in my brain. And that's why I couldn't fix my adrenals. That's why I couldn't fix my thyroid, because... It was the mercury upstream that was really the issue. So that's what led me. I teach doctors now. I just came back from a seminar in Florida where we had 250 doctors and practitioners and teaching them the protocols about cellular healing and cellular detox. And yeah, keto ketosis is a tool that we use in a very, really unique way, actually, which is how we're going to talk about it on this show. We don't use ketosis like most people, I would say. Yeah, and that's for sure, right? And you are really educating people into what ketosis is. So go a little bit about how you are teaching your practitioners this yeah. and, uh, and yeah. how our people can actually take a little bit to apply it to their ketogenic nutrition plan. Look, I mean, ketosis, uh, you know, I, my cellular detox is something I've taught for years now. I mean, that's how I got my life back and, and thousands of others. I've trained hundreds of practitioners in it and, uh, uh, you know, so I'm known for that. But the diet is a critical part because what I my message in detox is look real detox has to occur at the cell if you don't detox the cell meaning a colon cleanse infrared saunas the 10-day cleanses which are mostly what I call poopers <laughs> that, that none of those things are bad 
It's just they don't get upstream to where the real problem is, and that's the cell. So when we detox the cell, controlling inflammation of the cell is critical. So the dietary strategies become a critical component of what I teach. So ketosis, as many of your people you interview will talk about, ketones have some magic to them. I mean, number one, fat burns much cleaner than does glucose. So if we can transition somebody into a fat burner, then we are going to you know, basically create less oxidative stress, stress and inflammation. So it works. And remember, ketones are a byproduct of fat metabolism. So when we shift the cell over into a ketotic state, now we're burning most of the energy as fat, which is burning cleaner and therefore downregulates inflammation. So therefore, it's a great tool. Now, what we have noticed, because I teach hundreds of doctors, is that some people, especially thyroid, adrenal people, certain hormonal-related conditions, they struggle even to get into ketosis, number one. Number two, even when they are in ketosis, they don't tend to lose fat. And some of them don't feel good. So one of the strategies we really, I came upon um, through this process is a strategy I call diet variation, and AKA feast famine cycles. So this strategy has become really you know, well known now for these hormone dysregulated people who struggle in ketosis, struggle in getting into ketosis, or even can't lose weight into ketosis. So and it's also for people say, oh, you can't be in ketosis or low carbohydrate diet with thyroid conditions. Well, this is how you do it. And this is how we do it. This is how we break through weight loss resistance. Okay. So go into a lab, share with them how, how that would be. Yeah. Well, there's different diet variation. Okay. Um, Diet variation, it sounds like, okay, we're just changing the diet. Well, it's true, but there's a more specific strategy around it. So uh, number one, let's just start seasonally. When I'm, I'm a big study of ancient cultures. I, I visited some ancient cultures. And first of all, they, they never are in one diet uh, too long. Uh, you know, when you look at the Hunza people, when you look at the American Indians, when you know, I went to an African tribe, their diet varies seasonally. Uh, not because they're like going, hey, boy, let's, I've got a really good strategy. It's because they're forced to. You know, these, these uh, cultures have times of feast and they have times of famine. They have times where the weather shifts. They have times where they have certain animals not. They have times of certain harvest, you know, harvest where they don't have certain foods. So they're forced into dietary shifts based on the, the environment. So I believe that we no culture really stating ketosis. The moment they had other foods and carbohydrates, they shifted. Well, you know, I, years ago, there was, um, uh, it was a particular client of mine who literally we had in just a moderate carbohydrate diet, something I call my cellular healing diet. And she wasn't losing weight. She lost a little bit, but it stopped. And so I moved her into ketosis where she wasn't losing weight. And she even had trouble getting in ketosis. It literally took us probably two, three months before she was, you know, her beta hydroxybutyrate that's measuring blood ketones was above 0.5 as an indicator that you're in ketosis. And she even was struggling around that kind of up and down, even though her carbohydrates were literally below 20 on a daily basis, 20 grams. So most people, of course, would be in ketosis. So after months of doing this, I said, let's go back to the diet that we were on ahead of time. And we did that and she lost like 10, 15 pounds, which was very odd to me. 
So, but then she said, you know, it stopped again. The weight loss stopped. So I said, great, let's go back into ketosis now. Now, this time she went into ketosis in a month and she had higher numbers. So we did this variation a few times and each time she was getting more and more metabolically flexible, meaning she was getting more efficient at burning fat. I actually tried it with my wife who struggled to get into ketosis. I moved her in and out of the ketotic state and each time she became more and more efficient to where now my wife can get in and out of ketosis in a couple of days. That's so good. she's become very efficient, just like myself. So I learned something as far as shifting the diets, even, you know, monthly, et cetera. And we did it with our doctor group and the same thing worked out. Now let's shift. When, if you look at low carbohydrates, there's some things out there that says, well, it can cause insulin resistance, right? Now, it's true and it's not true, meaning it can cause insulin resistance, not like a diabetic, but it can cause insulin resistance because if you're shifting the cell to use fat, remember, cells can only use sugar or fat for energy, okay? So in ketosis, we're making it use fat. Now, once that shift occurs, if the, the body thinks, okay, this is my only source of energy, the fat, what it instinctively does, because it just wants to survive at all costs, mm -hmm. eventually it will use its DNA, that's where it will send a signal, and it will literally blunt the insulin receptors. Why would it do that? Because remember, insulin is a fat-storing hormone. It does it to hold on to its fat because it wants to survive. Mm -hmm. It knows that this is my fuel, I need it, right? It's like being out in the middle of the woods in a really harsh winter and you have only so much wood. As your wood pile diminishes, you're gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna hold on to some of this wood, uh, you know, because I'm gonna burn it slower. So maybe instead of having it nice, you know, 70 and 80 degrees in your home, uh, you know, you're gonna go down and be comfortable at 50 or 60. That's a slowing of the metabolism. Your body will do the same thing to survive. So what happens in low carb diets, the body will start to use less fat, burn less fat. And therefore, it happened to me. I mean, I was literally down below 10 grams of carbs in a ketotic diet. And believe me, it took some time to get there. But then I was gaining more belly fat, wondering what's going on. So I was going lower and lower and lower carbs. And then it got dimply fat. Because here's another strategy the body does. The body will actually put water in fat cells to slow down the burning as well. So now you get this dimply weird fat in all the wrong places. So a few strategies there that the body will do in a severely low carb diet that it will start to hold on to fat. So you look at these people who have been in ketosis or low carbs diets for a while, and you can start to see this happen. So how do we beat it? Feast famine cycles. So we take this diet variation strategy that we do seasonally and we apply it weekly. So now if we throw in one or two feast days where either high carbs, healthy carbs I promote, for healthy people, they can get away with unhealthy carbs, truthfully told, it still works. But you know, one day a week at least, um, we will do high carb, healthy carbohydrate diets. Now, you can do the same thing with protein. Some people do really well with blowing up protein for one day, which again, I'm not a promoter of high protein diets long term. I think that too can be damaging. Um, but when you throw in this high carb, high protein day, it reminds the body it's not starving. And therefore, it fires up the fat burning in. So I call that my 5-1-1. So what we do is this, the feast famine. Five days, we'll do intermittent fasting, which we can talk a little bit about, okay, where we eat a, a small window of like four, six, eight hours. And then we fast the rest of the time. And there's advantage to that. But then one day we feast, 
Now, the other day we famine. So let's say Wednesday we famine. I will typically, and I, I do this two, three, four days a week oftentimes, where I'll eat one meal or I don't eat at all until the next day. That's a famine day. Okay, then one day or two days a week for me, oftentimes, I do a feast, feast famine. And what we're doing is we're, cha- we're fooling the body. We're keeping it from adapting. We're emulating basically what ancient cultures were forced to do. So feast famine cycles, you can do it weekly. And again, I have something called like my three, three, one, where we, we do that. We don't eat or we eat only one meal three times a week and, or we have one feast day. So three fasts, one feast, and then three intermittent fasting days where we eat again in a, maybe a six hour window. I eat most of my days. I don't eat until maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll, I'll eat, I'll start my eating window maybe at four and I eat to seven. And that's pretty much what I do. I, that's what ancient, a lot of ancient cultures do. They eat in a window of maybe three or four hours, but they eat the whole time, which is kind of what I do. So I just start eating. And, and again, but one day a week, I don't eat at all or I eat one meal. And, you know, maybe I do that two, one to three or four times, like I said, especially when I'm traveling, I do that. And then I always do one or two feast days. So that throws that the body off. Now, there's monthly. Let me, I'll throw this in and I'll open it up for questions because I know I opened up a lot of uh, room for questions here. So we learned this as well. If we take for especially for you women out there hormonally a week before your period, and I know you've heard you can't intermittent fast, or you can't go into ketosis. We've learned this as well in our doctor group. If we take the seven days, one week before your period, or maybe it's the week of your period where you have the most cravings for, uh, for sugars or bad foods. If we give you high carbs during that week and then we're low carb the rest of the month, magic happens. It changes the hormones literally for the whole month. When insulin gets too low on a low carbohydrate diet, you have trouble making certain hormone conversions. You need insulin to, for example, to bring thyroid stored hormone T4 to T3. You need insulin for that conversion. So when insulin gets low on a low carbohydrate diet too long, you can't make that conversion. So when we throw in that week before the period where you need that insulin to make these, even estrogen needs it, now all of a sudden you just fuel your hormones and it works for the rest of the month. So weekly variation, we have monthly variation and we have seasonal, all diet variation that works for these hormone conditions. Okay. How about that for women? So are you saying, would they still do like their five days of intermittent fasting, a feast and a famine day for the other three weeks? Or how would you say that? Or just have them actually do it like their feast day for seven days. And I want you to clarify on carbohydrates. I don't want people to sit there and think, oh, this gives me a free thing. I can eat entire pizza. Like that's not what you're saying, right? Like we're talking good carbs and, and good quality carbs. Right. The people that we're dealing with have to stick to, you know, that's where you add sweet potatoes, right? I mean, that's where you add uh, some more berries in your diet. Healthy fruits um, is a good, good source. I mean, any healthy carbohydrate. I mean, people that have no grain tolerance can add some wild rice or I mean, quinoa, I mean, other sources of healthy carbohydrates, right? Exactly. Um, But yeah, to your point. So if we're doing a feast for one week of the month, then what you can do the other, I still do feast famine cycling the rest of the month, uh, you know, so they can still be doing intermittent fasting where we're doing the feast famine cycles, one feast day, maybe two fast days, whatever it is, whatever combination you're doing. But the bottom line is for seven days, 
you know, the week before your period, whenever you have the greatest amount of cravings, yeah, you're going high carb. We've used even high protein successfully during those times. Both can shake it up enough to where, you know, you can really break through weight loss resistance or even hormone dysregulation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now let's go into intermittent fasting a little bit and explaining that. And then there is, because, you know, a couple of years ago for me, that's when I started looking into intermittent fasting and all of the people that were speaking about it were men. But now you see a lot more women that are speaking about that. So let's talk about intermittent fasting. You shared a little bit about what you do, but then also for women as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, my wife is in perimenopause and she was struggling to you know, she could never get into ketosis like me. Now she's just like me. I mean, we can do carbohydrates for a uh, higher carb diet for a week straight. I know you're going to get this question. Well, how high do I go? Right. You know, go at least above a hundred, you know, mm-hmm. even 200 carbs on a, on a feast day. But you know, now we can both get back into ketosis just like that. So this strategy worked for my perimenopausal wife, you know, who was having trouble making that transition like many do. So yeah, this is, you know, intermittent fasting um, can be difficult, more difficult for women uh, than men. Low carbohydrate diets too, especially at different times of life, especially with certain hormone challenges, as I mentioned, adrenals, thyroid. But this strategy, this feast, famine cycling, it works. You know, so, you know, I mean, I I had, um, I'm friends with Joe McCullough and he, uh, he was writing the book Fat for Fuel at the time and he was noticing muscle loss because of low, low carbohydrate diet. And him and I had a conversation and I said, no, you need the feast days, right? In this feast famine cycle. So chapter 10 in his book, great book, by the way, Joe did there. And I wrote a part of that chapter um, based on this concept of feast famine cycling, you know, and, and our experience, you know, what we had with our doctors, but it works. It worked for me, it worked for Joe, it works for others. You know, we all, you know, Joe and I are really disciplined people. You know, so it's like when you get really disciplined with this, it actually kind of can work to your advantage. But adding these feast days is absolutely magic. And then and challenging your mitochondria, adding these famine days, you know, and then I'm a big proponent, as you know, I fasted almost 3,000 people on my Facebook, right? Yeah, so yeah. With what we do as a doctor group too, is we also periodically do five-day water fasts. Uh, and other fasts too, bone stock fasts. I mean, there's even partial fast or fasting mimicking diets. We use all of these strategies as well, monthly, yearly, but throwing in longer fasts into this mix is also very magical because something called autophagy, which is another subject. Yeah, that, and that's great information. I just finished um, a long fast as well. So um, actually broke it this morning. So um, let's talk about, because you had said the famine days. And one of the things that I really, um, I think I, I'm, I don't know if I learned it from you guys or who I learned it from, but to do their 24 hour fast, a lot of times people in their head are thinking it's like breakfast to breakfast. But one of like the beautiful things that I'll do is dinner to dinner. And it seems for something it's mental, right? Like, and I don't know if that's something that you guys are, did I learn that from you guys? (laughs) We do it. Marilyn and I do that. Like I said, I mean, at least three days a week. dinner. I did it yesterday. I want to do it today. I love doing it on my busy days. So I'll, I'll have dinner. And I, I actually had dinner yesterday, probably around four o'clock. So um, I probably won't have dinner tonight until six o'clock. So it'll end up being a 26 hour fast, so to speak, right? But right. I mean, you know, you get, I, I had mentioned the autophagy word. Autophagy, the 2016 Nobel Prize was won by a gentleman who basically talked about autophagy. And what that means is the body will, in a fasting state, literally eat its bad cells 
before it eats its good cells. It'll eat the, the debris, if you will, the cellular debris, the bad cells, the bad tissues before it touches good tissues. So autophagy is really a strategy um, of how to get healthier cells, but it's also a strategy uh, for basically improving your immune system, even improving muscle tissue. So after a fast, people say, well, during a five day water fast, don't you lose muscle? Well, you lose muscle, but you only lose bad muscle. You lose only bad protein. The body's that intelligent. So it seems as what, and what happens when you get rid of the bad cells, the body raises up stem cells to replace the bad cells. And all of a sudden, a month later, you actually gain muscle. Merrily, you know, put on some good quality muscle and lost fat with each, you know, each fast. I and mean, we've been fasting for years. But, yeah, and that magic happens at what day? You tell them that. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 fat, the, mat, the most autophagy happens around like day four, day five. That's why I like a five-day water fast. Uh, you have to get through that first three days where your body's causing all the adaptions and most people don't feel good. <laughs> so I would say at least do four days. But it's better. The magic happens. It's better if you can go five days. So that's why uh, we try to you know, do at least five days. Now, again, I mean, there's other things that cause autophagy. Even caloric restriction causes some autophagy. Now, I'm not about, I don't like people that are trying to stay in caloric restriction. It works against you. Your body's metabolism will lower. But what we'll do is maybe five days a month. This is Walter Longo's work who's speaking at my next seminar in November. But five days a month, instead of doing a water fast, sometimes we'll do a partial fast, or he calls it a fasting mimicking diet, where we get the, uh, the calories down to 500 to 1,000 calories, depending on your body size. And that caloric restriction of a higher fat diet, lower protein diet, both of which cause this autophagy. So low protein, low calories, low carb, all will cause autophagy. So you're getting that in that caloric restricted five days a month. His studies showed that it actually regenerated pancreatic cells in type one diabetics. So doing just caloric restriction five days every month and in a four month period of time, they realized that because of this autophagy and then the rise in stem cells, your body via the rise in stem cells actually regenerated the stem cells. One of his studies actually showed, so this is, this is why these strategies work for autoimmune as well, because one of the things was criticized for longer water fast was, well, it lowers your immune system. We see a drop in white blood cells, which true, you do. But what we know now is actually happening is your body during the fast through this autophagy will eat away all of the bad, overactive, if you will, hyperreactive via, you know, like we see these hyperactive immune cells during autoimmune, even food allergies, food sensitivities, allergies, period. Those are hyperactive white blood cells. They've lived too long, they're misbehaving. Well, during, during a fast through autophagy, your body will eat out those hyperactive ones before it eats good ones. And then it raises up stem cells and it recreates new, more naive blood cells, if you will, ones that aren't hyperactive and misbehaving. So therefore we have a down regulation of this overactive immunity that we're seeing, you know, as an epidemic in people today. So that's why, another reason why these fasting strategies are critical. And by the way, even on an intermittent fast, um, 15 hour intermittent fast, we see some of this autophagy happen, but longer fast, you get more. Yeah. Tell them how to, if, if people haven't gotten into intermittent fasting, explain to them the easiest way to start. I know it's, super, it's such a super simple question, but no, this is open for everybody. Here's, believe it or not, when you look at how many times Americans eat, they say on average 17 to 21 
Like what? I know every one of your viewers are going, that's not me. It could be because it's the handful of nuts. There's a meal that spikes insulin and glucose. It's the kombucha. It's the, you know, whatever it is, the handful of berries. I mean, we're talking healthy foods maybe, but that's a meal each time. You know, if you want to live longer than anybody, studies show eat less. But I, here's a saying that I've coined. Don't eat less, eat less often. That's really how ancient tribes do it. They don't eat often, they eat in a window. So simply put, intermittent fasting, skip all the snacks. So oftentimes we just say, eat three meals. That's where we start. And then we say, skip breakfast. Now you're eating two meals, okay, without any snacks in between. I say this to people, pick a window and eat in that window. So maybe you start off in an eight or a 10 hour window and you pick a window. So maybe it's 10 a.m. is your first meal and six o'clock is your last meal. There's an eight hour window you chose. And you can eat two, you can eat three meals in that window. Okay, once you get more adapted to this, then you can shorten the window to a six hour window. Then you can eat two or three meals in a window. Bodybuilders that want to put on muscle, they're actually eating in a six hour window, but they eat a ton of calories, they eat the whole time in that six hour window. Now I'm not recommending that for health necessarily, but eating one or you know, one or two meals in a window. So when I say one meal in a window, sometimes I'll eat just for three hours, like you know, an ancient culture does. Awesome. Any suggestions or any tips for people with kids? Because so often, you know, you'll hear, oh, you can't eat a ketogenic diet for your children, but obviously we know differently. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, um, you know, if, when, when I went to Africa, I saw all the kids doing exactly what the parents did. You know, they pretty much ate in a three-hour window later in the day when, you know, they came back with a kill or not a kill. But regardless, you know, you had the whole tribe eating in a three-hour window. So, you know, yes, they, they fasted and they were ketosis. Now there was times, I'm sure, that they, they were not in ketosis because certain plants, et cetera, fruits they were having access to in the summer, just like the American Indians. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, kids can do the same thing as parents. Now, if your kid is a carbohydrate addicted person, you're going to have some resistance <laughs> because when you put them on ketosis, you know, of course, they're going to complain and kick. But again, I, I'm promoting, you know, look, you know, I, I'm a unique bird out there because I'm a believer. People say, well, the, when I went vegetarian or when I went vegan, oh my gosh, it helped me so much. And I go, yeah, I probably did. Because when you shift diets, you know, your hormones shift. This adaptation, I call it hormone optimization. That's why when you shift diets, your body adapts and it raises growth hormone. Your cells become more hormone sensitive. I call that hormone optimization. So when you went vegan, you did feel better. But the problem is if you stay vegan too long, it'll work against you. I'll pick on the paleo people, uh, paleo diet. I went paleo, yeah, you changed diets and you had all these amazing hormone shifts. You felt better and no doubt, I'm sure you lost some weight, et cetera. But if you stay high protein, you'll raise something up called mTOR and that ages you prematurely. That can work against you, right? So, you know, then you have the ketosis people. We already kind of picked on them a little bit by staying in ketosis too long. The body will think it's starving and surviving, and then, you know, you start store, you know, storing fat or holding on to fat more often. So, look, I, you know, I think when we look at every ancient culture, they varied their diet. So, and you know, what's in, right now is in vogue is the T-Rex diet. It's an all-carnivore diet where they're only eating meat, now, again, people are going to say, I felt better. My blood work got better. But you stay on that diet, and it's going to work against you. Yeah. So 
You know, and then I, I saw on Dr. Oz uh, last week the, the super carbohydrate diet. Yeah. Here we go again, right? So, you know, so my point is, is that all of these diets can work. The key is making these dietary shifts, you know, diet, aka diet variation. Yeah, and definitely, and also doing it as a lifestyle. It's not just a, hey, let's do this for a couple of weeks, feel better, and then quit it all. So thank you. I love how you just, you make it simple. And the fact is you show us how the body is adapting in all, all situations, because we, we know, you know, with our training is that the body's very intelligent and it's always going to adapt. And so I also just love the ancestral information that you gave us because um, what we all have to remember is exactly how our bodies are working is how they've always worked for, you know, millennia. So anything else you want to add? This has been very informative. It, it is that adaptation principle that you mentioned, which really is, is the magic, you know, and uh, there was a, a study I, I presented at my conference uh, and it's when we take, and you see people do this, right? They take, um, they go from, really hot to cold or cold to hot. Well, wh what are we doing? And why does that kick in this weight loss? Because it's forcing adaptation, mm -hmm. right? The body has to adapt to that change and therefore it upregulates norepinephrine, uh, it upregulates growth hormone, the, the cells become more sensitive and it works. It can help you break through weight loss resistance, become leaner. Same thing with diet shifts. It's the variation. Exercise, right? Everyone knows if you do the same routine your, your body, you gain in the beginning and it works. But then if you keep doing the same thing, you stop having gains. The moment you go to a new gym or the moment you go to the new thing, right? And by the way, people do the same thing with exercise diets. They go to Orange Fitness or whatever. Is that even the name? I don't know. But they do the next thing, right? And, it, and these people market to the next thing, don't they? It's, and they think it's this, oh, this is the most amazing thing. I started doing this thing and I lost 10 pounds. Is it the diet? It's just movement, man. You're doing the same thing. You're just doing it differently. But the change forces this adaptation that the body goes, uh-oh, we have to adapt. So you think the orange theory, that's what it is. It's called, <clears throat> it's called orange theory. You think that it's that, or you think that it's this that's the magic. No, it's the change, man. It's not the stinking specific, you know, P90X or whatever it is. <laughs> It's all the same way of movement, but because it's different, your body adapts differently. Same with diet. Yeah, I love it. All right, where can they find more information about you? Yeah, my website, dr, like doctor. So dr, and then my last name, p-o-m-p-a.com. So drpompa.com. Go to my cellular healing TV um, on my website, and you'll see tons of interviews with uh, very bright people, people, world changers from all around the world. And uh, you'll hear these concepts. I did a lot of shows on diet variation, feast, famine cycles, ketosis, fasting shows. It's all there. Yeah, I love it. And great, great information. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Absolutely. All content provided by Dr. Lisa Olszewski and her guests in her programs, including this podcast, her website, summits, and other platforms, is for educational and informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider before you make any changes to your health routine, especially related to this content. Ask your physician questions about medical conditions. No statement has been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and products mentioned or discussed in these programs are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I hear it all the time. How do I get my kids to eat fruits and vegetables? How can I get them to take a multivitamin? Or even for our adults, I hate fruits and vegetables. How do I incorporate some of the great benefits of this? 
This is why I created the Nourish Super Greens and Super Reds. You are going to love them. They are all organic. You have organic green blend and an organic red antioxidant blend. But what else I love about this... I brought in immune support as well. So we have such amazing superfoods, all of the different mushrooms that are in there, along with digestive enzymes. And you can just mix it into your smoothie. You can mix it into some water, but it tastes good. There are no added sugars. You're going to love it. So just click the link below or go to drlisao.com and click the shop button.